Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I heard a cute story this week uh, about one of those big dinners with a keynote speaker and everything. After the dinner, the speaker and the master of ceremonies were standing in the lobby greeting the people who attended, and a six-year-old boy ran up to the speaker and, and said out loud, Your speech stunk. Embarrassed, the master of ceremonies asked the little boy to move along. Well, he took a few steps, and then he, he, he turned and ran right up to the speaker again, and he said, We've heard all your jokes before. They're not even funny. Embarrassed even more, the master of ceremonies tried to, tried to urge the boy to, to move along, you know. Instead, he looked right at the speaker, and he said, I bet they never invite you back. Just then, the boy's mother, who was standing not too far off, uh, saw what was happening, and she ran up to the speaker and quickly made her apology. She said, oh, please forgive my son. I, I didn't hear what he was saying, but he's only six years old, and he's right at that age where he repeats what everyone says. I'm going to remember that. Well, if you're attending worship in your pajamas early this Sunday morning, or if you've joined us later in the day, it's still Good Shepherd Sunday comes around every fourth Sunday of Easter, and you not only have my permission, but my encouragement to repeat everything you hear about it today. Our psalm is always the 23rd Psalm, a reminder of God's constant care. Our gospel lesson always comes from somewhere in John chapter 10, where Jesus talks about himself as our good shepherd who laid down his life for us and leads us in green pastures all the way to heaven. It truly is good news we can use especially in these unique times. And then along comes Peter this morning, urging us to enjoy our suffering. And you have to wonder, how did he get into the readings? Did you catch what he was saying? It's all about enduring life's trials. Peter gives us the opportunity to look at the Good Shepherd this morning from the point of view of his suffering sheep. And there's a lot of suffering going on these days, no matter where you look. There's never a shortage of people really hurting for all sorts of reasons, though. Uh, but you can probably squeeze most of them into one of three categories. The first is uh, that a whole lot of people suffer for no apparent reason at all. From the kinds of things that come into our lives unrelated to anything we may have done ourselves or, or even failed to do. People who develop a serious illness might fall into this category. You know, maybe you never smoked or drank, or said one bad word, or walked on the wild side your whole life, and you still come down with, with heart disease, or cancer, or crippling arthritis, or COVID-19, or whatever it might be. Maybe your employer was forced to shut down, and you were thrown out of work. You're pretty sure you didn't deserve that, and you don't feel the least bit non-essential, and you're probably right. But you weren't fired. The virus simply leaked in and forced you out at least for a while. Aside from the pandemic, though, it can still happen, unexpectedly always has. Downsizing, a uh, victim of a weak economy maybe, uh, just short end of the stick sometimes it seems like. It's hard to explain why things work out the way they do, isn't it? But the good news is that we have a good shepherd watching over his flock who sees what we're going through and promises to be there with his staff for us to lean on. You know, we live in an imperfect fallen world, and death and disease, are, they sort of just come with the territory. But so can miracles and healings and fresh starts. And then, you know, waiting over and above it all, of course, there's heaven, the ultimate win. 
And we're not really always happy with the way things work in this life, but we kind of get it. The second category of suffering people would be the ones who've brought it on themselves. They're suffering because of mistakes they've made. You know, if you stick up a liquor store and you get caught, you can expect to go to jail and suffer for it. And you can pray all you want while you're sitting there in your cell, hoping nobody will notice how frightened and vulnerable you are. And God can forgive a repentant, believing heart, even in jail cell, but he probably won't step down to bring the wheels of justice to a screeching halt so you get out early. That we get. You do the crime, you know, we expect we'll do the time. If you're thinking about buying a house built on stilts, for example, well, you might want to think about why they had to do that. The third group are the innocents, the ones who suffer at the hands of other people. And you're right if you're thinking that no one is truly innocent. But a lot of people can make their way into your life that you didn't ask for and you don't deserve. So maybe you have a mean boss, and he makes every day more miserable than the one before. But you can't quit because you need the money and good jobs are hard to find. Or maybe your coworkers don't seem to like you very much and, and they're jealous of you or they spread malicious gossip about you as a result for no good reason or lie to you or betray you. You know, what if your friends turned on you? Like that's never happened, right? They mock you and slander you to others and they call you all kinds of vile names and, and, and make you the butt of their cruel jokes. You know, the apostles were hounded by the Jewish church leaders and their minions. Can you imagine being hounded or hassled by your pastor or your elder? They were harassed and they were arrested and they were beaten and they were even jailed by theirs. We heard about it a couple weeks ago from Acts chapter 5. Peter and the others were arrested and thrown into jail and warned to stop teaching about Jesus. Or in the case of some of the first century new believers who are pouring through this letter from Peter this morning looking for guidance and direction, maybe you were just born into slavery because a lot of them really had been. How are we supposed to respond to unjust suffering? Well, the answer is surprising. And this one is one very unhappy flock of sheep that Peter's writing to. And they're probably not going to be any happier when they read what he has to say least until they're able to digest it a little. This is what he says. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. In other words, if life hands you the short end of the stick, and sooner or later it probably will, then just grab on and deal with it. The people he's addressing in the part of his letter our lesson comes from are slaves. They're identified in the verse that just precedes our lesson. In particular, uh, they're household slaves. That's how the word they use translates. Uh, Gentile slaves who have become Christians and are working for pagan or unbelieving masters. And maybe they're paying a big price for their conversion. You know, Peter knows they're wondering what God has to say about it all, and so he tells them. And what he has to say goes beyond the scope of right or wrong regarding the whole issue of slavery. It's bigger than that. At the time he's writing this, about one-third of the population of Rome uh, is composed of slaves. And that extended all through their, their, uh, their lands, okay? Their, the empire really couldn't have existed without them. All nationalities and creeds and colors. If you were conquered by Rome and you weren't killed and you were relatively healthy, the odds were pretty good you'd be enslaved. 
Now, slavery in those days was different than, than our American slavery. For one thing, it wasn't about race. Romans were, I guess you could say, equal opportunity slave owners. For another thing, people could enter into it voluntarily and did. Uh, if your family needed money, one of the things you could do is, was uh, one of the family members would sell themselves into slavery to help meet the need. In fact, some Christians were actually doing that in order to raise money to help others. Talk about your faith in action. It's part of the reason the Christian movement couldn't be stopped. People would see this, this self-sacrifice uh, kind of attitude that Christians had. It was so foreign to them. They would watch and eventually they would ask, how can you do this? And it gave them an opportunity to share the gospel. Cicero, the great Roman statesman who eventually became an enemy of the state, ironically, in 43 B.C., wrote that the average length of this involuntary servitude was seven years. Another thing that set Roman slavery apart was education. Now, a slave in our own deep south would often be forbidden to learn how to read and write. But in the Roman culture, and especially among these household slaves, it was encouraged, was even prized. But it was still slavery. And while it might have been tolerable, much of it was intolerable. And they're looking for direction. Should they rise up and fight for their freedom? Well, they were certainly familiar with the story of a gladiator named Spartacus. He broke free with just 70 of his fellow slaves and ended up commanding an army of 70,000. That was only as far back in their history as the American Civil War is in ours. Not all that long ago. Almost fresh. For a couple of years, he won some astonishing victories over Roman armies, but in the end... He was betrayed by pirates who were supposed to show up with a fleet of ships to help them escape when they had their backs to the sea. The pirates didn't show. Arg. Spartacus' body was never really identified, but it was assumed he was killed along with 6,000 of his captured men when they were crucified along the road leading into Rome. Every one of them. Now, Peter knew revolt could only end in death. What he tells them, in, in one sense, is to just rejoice and bear it, that suffering unjustly is a gracious thing in God's sight. Well, what's that about? It means that you don't get any points from God if you suffer because you deserve it. But if you didn't, then it's a good thing. And here's why in just five words. Because Christ suffered for you. They still needed to learn how to separate suffering from God, just like many of us. In the, mid in the mid 16th century, a group of 50 Spanish nuns headed by Sister Teresa of Avila traveled on foot to a neighboring convent in a rugged storm. Crossing a rickety bridge over a swollen stream, the sisters prayed that the bridge would hold up until they were safely across. It didn't. Near the center, it collapsed, spilling all the nuns into the water. Now, uh, the sisters uh, managed to swim safely to shore. And when they did, Sister Teresa raised her eyes toward heaven and said, Lord, if this is the way you treat your friends, it's little wonder you have so many enemies. She was eventually sainted by the Catholic Church, but she knew that while God, the God she believed in didn't always prevent bad things from happening to good people, he was still a good God. Good to remember this morning. Remember what? Don't confuse God 
with life. Think about some of the most well-known Old Testament stories. Stories about people who were able to separate the, the physical reality of their lives from the spiritual reality of their relationship with God. There's a verse in Ezekiel chapter 14 where God mentions three of his very favorite people. Noah, Daniel, and Job. Now, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Noah spent 120 years building an ark on faith alone. Uh, Job, well, Job suffered and lost everything as part of a bet God had made with Satan. God allowed them all to suffer terribly, and yet he says they're among his favorites, that they're righteous. You know, if that's how you treat your friends, Lord, it's no wonder you have so many enemies. It's how you want to respond, isn't it? But here's the thing. Through all their suffering, they learned to have a relationship with God independent of their life circumstances. They learn to have a relationship with God independent of their life circumstances. One of the greatest Christian martyrs whose writings have survived uh, was Polycarp, uh, Bishop of Smyrna. As an old man, Polycarp was brought one last time before the Roman proconsul and given a last chance to deny Jesus and burn or uh, and, and deny Jesus and burn incense to the Roman emperor or. Uh, maintain his, his, his faith. Uh, his reply echoes through the centuries. He said, 86 years I have served the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's never once wronged me. How can I deny my king who has saved me? When the proconsuls threatened to burn him at the stake, the old bishop replied, you threaten me with a fire that'll burn for an hour and then go out. Do what you will. My purpose is unchanged. And with that he was led to the platform, and the fires were lit. On his farewell, he said, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of the martyrs I may share the cup of Christ. That was in about 155 AD. First and second centuries were brutal on the Christians. Now, do you have to be born a special kind of person to have a faith like that? No. Now, the Christian church was no stranger to persecution, Peter wasn't writing to people of a particularly great faith. He was writing to people who were suffering and needed to be reminded in the midst of those troubles not to confuse God with life. Only one thing matters. And he tells them, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Life happens. People suffer. But never like Jesus suffered for you. You could be crushed under the weight of just your own sins, but he bore the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future. You or I couldn't begin to stand up under something like that. And not only have our wounds been healed through his shed blood, he left us a map to follow in in tough times, an example, Peter says, footprints to follow in his steps. In fact, the, the word translated example is found only here in the whole Bible. 
It's a reference to a writing or a drawing that was placed under another sheet of paper so that it could be traced on the upper sheet by the pupil. Or in Peter's time, it was probably a clay tablet that was on the bottom. Kids would use, people, children maybe use it to uh, trace letters, learn how to, to write a little bit. The point is that it's, it's, writing is meant to be used as a, a perfect model for a copy. And here's why this lesson shows up on Good Shepherd Sunday. That perfect model, our example of how to deal with life when it treats you unfairly, is Jesus. Now, you and I live on this side of Easter. We have the advantage of looking back and seeing how he suffered for us, how he endured, how he conquered death, how he won new life for us, how he prayed for his persecutors, even the men who were nailing him to the cross. Peter says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now means that since Jesus bore their sins, uh, since they were brought to a saving faith by the Holy Spirit through water and the word, since their good shepherd had gathered them together, brought them in. Jesus said himself, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. They had been called, and they had been brought into the fold, into a saving relationship with the shepherd who'd already come the world. It didn't change the world all that much at the time, but it sure changed them. Now that future was theirs. Now those promises were theirs. We know from Romans 8.28 that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Don't confuse God with life. Bad things might happen to good people, but our good shepherd has shown us how to endure and even promised to be there to enable us to endure and come out the other end even stronger and closer to him than ever before. The next time troubles come knocking, instead of uh, looking heavenward and asking, why me? Try asking, why, God? What do you have to teach me? Don't confuse life with God. The good shepherd is good all the time. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll take a moment now to confess our Christian faith together in the words of the Apostles' Creed. 